welcome to yet another episode of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Aww. Recorded. Yeah, just recorded. <laughs> Along with that. That's a nice one. I like that. Just a nice little yodel. Oh, just a simple... The Dicer yodeling. A, a simple plaintive cry. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we form together, with our powers combined, we form the Dice Art Screaming Podcast. And we're here to talk about stuff. There is stuff that needs talking about now. Actually, you know, this is uh, true to our origins. This is still two guys actually recording what they would probably talk about on any given day anyway. Because yeah. it's, it's the stuff we know. It's the stuff we love. It's the stuff of games. Uh, now, that said, now I believe we had a call in uh, oh, yeah. on last week's Star Wars episode. And I... You well, this, earlier this week's, but yes. Yeah, uh, sorry, earlier this week's uh, Star Wars discussion of the role-playing game, uh, which has a glorious and storied history, uh, and it was an enormous pleasure to discuss that one, because it's near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we we do have fond memories of uh, the original West End role-playing game in particular, and then pretty solid memories of the, the later editions. Yeah. Uh, and in particular... I enjoyed playing the smuggler uh, a long time ago. Yeah, it was the Han Solo esque character. So that was a it was a campaign near and dear to our hearts and a lot of fond memories. But glad that people enjoyed. Yeah, and uh, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Podcast has called in once again with some of his thoughts. So we're going to turn it right over to Jason. So Jason, take it away. Hey guys, Jason here from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. You know, listening to your podcast makes me feel like my dog because every podcast is my favorite thing. So, you know, if you ever saw the thing where the dog rides with the car with the owner, oh, it's my favorite thing. Dog eats dinner, it's my favorite thing. Well, last time you talked about Boot Hill, my favorite thing. Now you talked about Star Wars, especially West End D6 Star Wars. Well, that's my favorite thing. Again, to me, the D6 will always, you know, West End games will always be Star Wars. Still have a ton of those books. They have the Star Warriors, you know, the fighter fighter combat rules, have all that stuff. Have some of the old board games that they put out. They put out some neat solitary and co-op games, you know, for their day were early for that kind of game. Um, and I'm going to have to run along here. Sorry. Yeah, I might have mentioned before, but, you know, I was in the Army. It was in the 90s. Early 90s, it a big st- stormtrooper campaign using D6, you know, the West End rules. So, which, uh, you know, probably makes sense. You got military, so you're playing the military, you know, the Imperial guys. But, so, what I wanted to mention, though, and I hate to be that guy, but I, uh, I can't resist. So, I apologize. And I'm not fact-checking here. I'm just shooting from the hip because research is for losers. So, I might be wrong on this. But you mentioned Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek, and then you said Wagon Train and the Stars. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure Wagon Train and the Stars was Battlestar Galactica, which is another great space show that, you you know, you could definitely play. But I'm pretty sure the Wagon Train and the Stars idea was Battlestar Galactica, not Star Trek. But I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, you'll be the first to know it. But because I'm not going to look this up when I get home, because I'm right in the car right now. But I, but anyway, all those games, though, are great. Or all those 
properties, Star Trek and Star Wars and Battle Star Galactica, both the original and the new for different reasons, are all great things and all deserving of getting on role playing, you know, getting on the tabletop as a role playing game. So thank you so much for your episodes. I'm really not picking on you. I really enjoy it and I'm looking forward to your next episode because I'm sure that will that too will be my favorite thing. All right, thanks a lot, Jason, for that insight, and yeah, for those call-ins. Um, wow, uh, yeah, we're glad that we're hitting all your favorite things. That's uh, yeah, badass. Yeah, the dog. Uh, this is my new favorite thing. This is my new favorite thing. Oh yeah. my god, this is the best thing ever! Ah! Yeah, uh, until you pick up the other toy. Oh my god, that's my best favorite thing ever. Yeah, the uh, I I literally live like that. I mean, it it is kind of a almost squirrel-like. Hysterical overreaction. Mm. I'm, I, I'm full of so much enthusiasm about so many things that it does make my days a lot easier than most people's. Like, yeah, awesome. you and Jason. Your enthusiasm is contagious. Yeah. Um. Well, let's start right here. Uh. Yeah. The stormtrooper campaign. I did run an imperial uh, D6 uh, campaign, kind of like the bad guys. Uh, trying to do the best they could with what they had. Um, never got around to playing Stormtroopers because I kind of always stayed away from them, but uh, glad that you guys did it. I uh, see the 501st Stormtrooper Battalion Legion has been not only canonized in the Clone Wars, but has carried on a fine tradition of uh, appearing at conventions and charities. So that shows that there's a lot of love for being the, the bad guys with something honorable. In their past, so kind of like playing Imperial Space Marines. And ironically, when they leave, we miss them. Yes. <laughs> oh, Stormtrooper oh, Angel. Yeah, yeah, there's that quality nerd dad joke. Combo. Yeah, I just put troops up on um, my Facebook page the other day. The whole uh, ep- the special edition of troops. Oh, remember the troops? Troopers. Oh, it was just yeah, troopers. Yeah, troopers. The uh, collegehumor.com. No, it wasn't uh, College Humor. It was uh, Troops, that guy that uh, did that way back. Oh, 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 the original. The Jawas with the Tom Servo. And, <laughs> you know, the Stormtroopers going out to the uh, Skywalker residence, you know, Aunt Brew. And investigate. <laughs> domestic disturbance. We've been out here a long time. What do you want us to do, Aunt Brew? But no, uh, Jason, yeah, um, as the actually guy... Oh, wow. I hate to do this, but... I'm out of the loop on this one. I did not know this. This was a curious point of trivia that, uh, you know, got dug up, and I'm kind of fascinated by it, but go ahead. Yeah, Harv Bennett wrote in his untold story of Star Trek, as well as uh, Roddenberry would recount later, that uh, he pitched to the various studios. Uh, when they went to CBS, he pitched the uh, Star Trek series as it was in its protean form at that point as a wagon train to the stars. And that is the actual one uh, that was used to the CBS executives in 66. And then later when they got picked up by NBC, um, the uh, CBS uh, executives poo-pooed them. But then they came out with Lost in Space. So, (laughs) mm -hmm. But a lot of his ideas, uh, they did take to heart. Yeah, interesting how there was a, like a, a... Um, intrusion of science fiction ideas uh, at that same time period hitting both studios and they went with totally different directions that really I mean that really set me off on a tangent mentally where I was just you know looking at the differences between the two products the uh, 
Star Trek and uh, Lost in Space, which, you know, one was the Swiss Family Robinson in Space, you know, mm -hmm. very cute, very approachable, very family-friendly. And then, of course, the harder-edged Star Trek original, which, for all of its camp, uh, embraced a lot of, you know, really tough social issues of the time through the lens of science fiction, which suddenly made unapproachable subjects uh, approachable. approachable. And, you know, that, that it's interesting that... They went in entirely different directions with them, uh, from the same root source, you know, contact with the same people pitching the, the same general idea. We want to get a science fiction show, you know, an in-space thing. You know, we're not looking to do a Pulp Fiction, uh, you know, Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon knockoff. We, we got something well, new. Well, not a Tarantino Pulp Fiction. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. Well, good Lord. Uh, on television in '66, are you kidding me? <laughs> the world was not the world was uh, unready enough for Andy Warhol and the Velvet Underground. I, they were definitely not ready. And Burt Reynolds and Hawk. Oh well, all right. Yeah, but that's some esoterics. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, and then the Lauren Green, you know, who had been in the Frontman in Bonanza for how long, ever long that ran. I was, oh, uh, like forever. But then being uh, put as Captain Adama or Commander Adama. In Battlestar Galactica, that's another interesting uh, segue that ABC picked up on. And uh, after Star Wars came out, they would put Battlestar Galactica out, which you know does kind of beg that uh, there's a lot of meat on the bone for a uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica game. Oh, RPG experience at least. Goodness, yes. Uh, you know, I, I think that's an underserved market right there. Who doesn't want to blast Cylons? I know, guilt free. You know, they're evil machines. Toasters. Yeah, just toasters with an attitude and a little red eye. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. By they, your just, command. Yeah, they have it coming. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> By your command, this. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I command you to drop. <clears throat> no, uh, no, well worth it. Uh, but, yeah, interesting that so much emerged out of the same well yeah. years before. Uh, science fiction was, like, you know, on an upward curve. Star Trek obviously, uh, you know, got in there firstest with the mostest and made a big impression and opened the door for a lot of things to come after it. Uh, you know, Star Wars, of course, just broke down the gates entirely. Yeah. Once, once that broke the way it did, uh, and, and that kind of, like, launches us, you know, uh, into today's discussion yeah. a little. You know, it just does. the kimono's fluttering, oh, so watch out. Look out. <laughs> uh, but you it, can expect no less? Oh, well, yeah, you can expect no less from the poorly secured howda of gaming oh. podcasts. No. <laughs> it starts out kind of okay, and then it's it upends you. It's a bumpy ride. It's a bumpy... <laughs> yep, you're topsy-turvy. Still only counts as one. Oh. <laughs> poorly secured howda. Uh, no, that... Uh, it is fascinating that uh, at the precise moment that Star Wars broke the gates down entirely, you know, it mm -hmm. sort of completed the job that began with uh, Star Trek and Lost in Space and other science fiction style programming that had crept its way into the marketplace. Star Wars' success in the box office uh, altered everything. And from that point forward, there was a huge science fiction presence looming in all of nerd culture. 
So yeah, and also a lot of studio execs' minds with oh. millions of dollars dancing in oh. their heads. Oh yeah, visions of loot dancing like sugar plums in their little brains. Yeah, uh, which you know made them much more pliable to outside the box ideas. Right, and also brings us to the point that what we were just trying to make with Roddenberry's statement there was that Star Wars is kind of like a western in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, well, it's very punchy and very. Uh, to the point, and also has kind of a gunfighter ethos to it, too. Uh, Even with the Jedi uh, being kind of like the samurai gunfighter ethos that uh, permeated, like, Yojimbo and the Magnificent Seven. And yeah, I was going Seven to say, uh, you know, Magnificent Seven, which was an homage of the Seven Samurai, uh, and Yojimbo and Ronin, uh, you know, the Akira Kurosawa masterpieces. Um, yeah, with uh, being homage with uh, Purpose Bullet Dollars. Yeah, uh, those had already filtered their way into Western audiences. Uh, and you can see some of those influences tucked in there. Yeah. Uh, Lucas was not, uh, you know, th- this was not a guy who grew up in a cave, okay? He was he was very culturally literate at the time. Yep, and Hidden Fortress and uh, a couple others. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, back and forth that can be uh, simulated from Samurai movies and gunfighter flicks into Star Wars and other things. So, yeah, uh, we beat that one to death. But uh, oh, thank you, yeah. Jason, for all that. And right oh, oh, and don't think you're not picking on us at all. Oh man. no, no, not at all. We don't, and I don't want to feel like we're picking on you with the actually thing because you know I hate to be that guy, but <laughs> I guess we have to be. If you're going to be that guy, then oh, I'm. Oh, we're nerds. It's what we do. Yeah, I mean that's like our bread and butter, man. You can't divorce us from the. You know, the uh, well, you know, and, and that's just, it's us. It's just us. So, it's yeah, how don't, we roll. Don't feel like you have to hold back, man. Nope. So, uh, all right. With so, that, we actually ought to give a little nod to our sponsor, our, our hosts. Yeah, the anchor. Uh, you know, the, uh, before we burst out of their chest. Yep. Ooh. <laughs> Another homage. <laughs> but uh, definitely, uh, one thing, Jason, we'll be covering Star Trek in the not-too-distant future. So oh, yeah, that's, for that. that's on the docket as well, because it is one of the legendary uh, influences of science fiction. So it's it's going to get the full treatment one of these days. Both and gaming and is, uh, cultural. Yeah, we will hit it. All right, but we're going to take a brief moment out here to pay the bills, and then we'll be right back. So stick around. Okay, and we're back, so thanks for waiting that out, and uh, of course, we're coming here with some topics. So, we've already hinted at it, so let's just let it yeah, yep. fly open. Yeah, the, the, the breeze has struck the kimono, and everything is hanging in the wind now. It's nothing but Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. Yeah, this was timely, time. timely Star Wars week. Uh, you know, they were hitting not just the role-playing game, per se, but also the influence and scope of the films. The films, the novels, the comics, the expanded universe. Yeah. We're going to be talking about all that tonight. So we're going to try to keep it uh, true to form and try to keep it uh, on point because there's a lot to cover. Yeah, we're, we're going to you know, bust this out one trilogy at a time, uh, trying to touch on the peripheral uh, additional material uh, in each particular era. Yeah. So... I, I guess right out of the gate, let's let's kick it off with the original trilogy. Well, okay. um, before we do that, let's oh. actually start with the disclaimer at the start of this. Oh, oh, oh. All right, all right. <clears throat> uh, there are going to be some review moments. 
where we each issue our opinions uh, regarding the strengths and or weaknesses of particular films, uh, both old and new alike. Now, by way of disclaimer, uh, it should be mentioned that neither of us have super strong antipathy towards any of these films, uh, but I have some fairly significant complaints about the recent ones, and that we will get to those at the end of session, but <laughs> I also have some very strong good feelings about some of the new material. So I'm, I'm split, I'm torn down the middle on this, and when I get to that review segment, I must warn you, I, I, will, I will smuggle you into the Death Star at peril of your life, but I will get you back onto the Millennium Falcon before it is over. And That's we will, right. We will hyperspace it to freedom, okay? So do not be afraid. Just stick with me for the ride. And I'm going to cover a lot of the expanded universe, and uh, specifically some of the novels and comics and uh, video games, as well as supplemental material that came out and its effects to role-playing games. So, um, And that how much they owe to the role-playing game. Oh, the very yeah. first one doing that initial groundwork of the source book. So, yeah, let's get started. The first trilogy. Okay, so where it's 1977 in May. Kaboom. Yeah, like a bomb. Yeah, that this thing it's happened. It's an airburst. That nobody expected. Uh, we had the $6 million man on TV. Which, admittedly, was also awesome. Well, you know, in its limited scope, okay, yes. Sure. But, you know, that's what they could do. And uh, now you had Star Wars. Now, worth mentioning, George Lucas uh, was not completely inexperienced. He just didn't have an enormous amount of clout. But he finally got, you know, it took moving heaven and earth, but he got enough backing to complete uh, his, you know, With his friends, love Francis project. Ford Coppola and even Steven Spielberg. Yeah, you know, we were all comparatively young bucks for the time, you know, with a little bit of... Yeah, they were the young Turks. You know, they, they had some chops to back up their, their tough talk, but, uh, you know, they, they hadn't been around the scene ruling the roost in that era. They, they were the new up-and-comers. Uh, and so here comes this crazy idea, a Western space opera, you know, a, a scenario where... They're clearly delineated good and evil sides, and the plucky misfits, uh, you know, tweak the nose of the all-powerful empire. And destroy a multi-quadrillion credit <laughs> war machine. Yeah. In an huh. act of domestic terrorism, unknown. I lost many good friends on the Death Star that day. But it also wove into it a bunch of mysticism. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, that... Uh, really threw people for a loop. Uh, and it took a group of comparatively novitiate actors and included among them uh, one particularly august presence, which was uh, the gentleman who played Obi-Wan. Uh, yeah, he's seen the whole thing as silly until it was put together. And yeah, Alec Guinness did not really look at this as like this great, brilliant piece of work right out of the gate. You know, you just read the script cold in 1977, having no idea... Well, how 75, be. 76. Yeah, 75, 76. If you read that script at that moment, you didn't think to yourself, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Uh, but, you know, here's this wonderful old veteran actor who brought incredible dignity to a particularly critical role. Uh, well, 
enough said, it spawned a legend. So those of us who were just kids at that very precise moment in history uh, and saw it in the theaters walked out completely wowed. Uh, Yeah, I was literally, uh, like, I just turned nine. Yeah, that was about it. Uh, And I just went there for my birthday. My grandfather took me to see it, and even he was like, holy cow, this is something. Yeah, that was uh, pretty darn good. Yeah, he's like, bro, it's pretty darn good. I like that. You know, uh, we saw it in, uh, my family saw it at an outdoor movie theater. Oh. Uh, Yeah, that's right, the drive-ins. Yeah, the old-fashioned drive-in movie theater. And it was on an enormous outdoor screen. And, man, you know, the inside of that Death Star, you know, like the the swinging across it on a little grappling line. Wow. Boy, that scene on a giant outdoor screen was something else. If you were about, you know, nine years old, that was just a moment of, whoa! Yeah, until they re-released the movies, um, you wouldn't see that like again, because most people caught it on VHS, you know, uh, the generation just a little bit afterwards, just the, you know, the next little wave that caught it. Yeah, because but, it was not habitually a thing back in those days to retro uh, repeat movies in the the box office. Yeah. Uh, it was not such a big thing. Very small theaters in like certain college towns would do that, but uh, getting major releases like Star Wars to come back out and go on the screen again, almost impossible. So either you saw it in the theater at the time, or you. Got to see it on VHS a little bit later. Okay, well, well, yeah. In overnight fashion, this thing just entered the cultural zeitgeist there. You know, it just penetrated into the, the minds of everybody who was alive at the time. And geek culture was never the same. No, every facet of nerddom was uh, impacted by this. It was literally uh, every comics, every outlet was suddenly filled with space opera, science fiction, madness, and you know, there were many bad uh, pastiches in B-movies like Roger Corman's Battle for the Stars <laughs> with the giant booby ship. Oh, oh, Roger Corman. Roger Corman. You, uh, just, you just can't quit those boobies. Yeah, the Yui Bowl of another time. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take you to task on that one. I'm going to say this. He's not Yui Bowl. He is... <laughs> That guy, you can hand him uh, uh, some money, and he will bring you a profit. But there will be boobs. <laughs> that's that's all you had to say. But yeah, all of these spinoffs, you know, everything was science fiction for a while, and it the echoes of this it took like almost three years to die down. Just at the time the Empire started to come out. Yeah, and this is uh, this is where the big thing starts to happen. You know, we go to the next movie. Empire, and what a different direction. I mean, I went to see it, and afterwards, my grandfather picked me up after the movie theater at West Columbia out here, and he's like, so what'd you think, son? And I was like, oh, it was good, but I, I tried to, dis- he seemed that there was something wrong, and <laughs> I was like, I, I had to ex- describe it to him as best as I could as an almost like a third-person observer to a train wreck. I'm like, well, there was this, that, and the other thing, and Luke learns how to be a Jedi, and then, you know, they get captured by the Empire in Cloud City, and it's just... And then Luke gets his hand cut off, and Darth Vader reveals that he's Luke's father. Spoiler alert. And <laughs> and then the, he, my grandpa's like, then what happened? Darth Vader is his father? Oh, he's actually like, whoa. whoa. He had a whoa moment. No way. That, no, that can't be. And, you know, of course, then we went and seen it in the drive-in, and then he was like, 
Well, I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it was a family event for me, too. But at the same time, it took, like, a couple showings for me to take it in. But I wanted to see more. No. Right I, afterwards. I just, like, now i got to wait another couple years for him to come out with the next part. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, and if you saw the first movie in 1977, uh, the initial reaction was, like, shock and awe. Because yeah. special effects were not of... There was no CGI at the time, so the special effects were just cunningly designed to trick the eye. and Flying down just, the Death Star Trench trying to line up the X-Wing. And, and, yeah, and, you, know. you know, and uh, the land speeders and the droids and all of these other things uh, just combined to create this wonderful alien atmosphere that uh, it, was, it was really easy to suspend your disbelief, let go, and enjoy. Yeah. Now, bearing in mind, I was like nine, so... Uh, second movie, yeah, I mean, dark. You know, you came out of that, you know, you went in a little kid, and you came out a man. You yeah. Know? Just, whoa! I was kind of like, I was kind of beside myself, and he's like, well, was it bad? And I'm like, no, it's good. It was really good. I, wanna, I can't wait for the next one now. And I want to find out what happens with this, and the, all these unresolved issues, and all these questions were up in the air, and now you had to wait three years. You know, and all of this is taking place at the same time that uh, role-playing games are making their debut. Yeah, uh, It is, you know, the same hobby shops uh, and comic book shops that people haunted uh, were literally abuzz with constant talk of these movies. So there was no avoiding it. No. Uh, and, of course, the the eternal debate, one of the, the early eternal nerd debates, Star Wars versus Star Trek erupted out of this. I'm, I'm not going to give too much credence to that because I was like, why, why can't we all just get along, man? Why can't you have Star it's Trek just, and Star Wars? I mean, Why not both? Yeah, cake and pie. Dude, what's wrong with you? you like, you hate cake? You only have pie? You know, what's wrong? I, this isn't like Heath Bars and Three Musketeers, okay? Yeah, it's... In the, you know, this is not like a, a contest between, you know, like a Hershey's chocolate bar and a Zagnut. Okay? Mm. <laughs> uh, Thank you, Beetlejuice. <laughs> Zagnut. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, we got to that third movie in 1983. Oh, Return of the Jedi. And uh, here's where my inner critic began to emerge, okay? I, I, I had a little bit of trouble with the... Uh, you know, cute, fluffy, indoor Ewok creatures that just seemed to target market a much younger audience than the original films. Well, hey, you know... Where the original films, like, you reached up to meet them, okay? You mm -hmm. know, you, you had to appreciate it uh, as it was and just take it. Whereas... By the time we got to Return of the Jedi, it seemed like they were reaching down and aiming for a lower common denominator. And that, I, it just instinctively didn't sit well with me, even though I was not all that old at the time. I mean... Yeah, this you know. time, uh, my grandfather would go with me to see Return of the Jedi. He, he wanted to see, the, you know, what this Still was. a great movie. Okay. He really liked the Jabba's Palace, uh, the oh, Rancor fight sure. with Luke. He's like, that's right out of... That's, yeah, that's, that, that's high-flying, uh, swashbuckling action from yesteryear. Uh, you could have seen Errol Flynn doing that on the deck of a pirate ship. Yep, and uh, the, that, the sail barge fight and all that. But Classic. 
And, of course, you know, the inclusion of the Ewoks is also due to the fact that uh, Jim Henson started to get involved in the trilogy, of course, with Frank Oz being Yoda, but also the Henson Studios helping design a lot of the uh, aliens in Jabba's Palace, as well as some of the effects for the Ewoks and other things. But I always imagine that there was a moment where Henson and Lucas were hitting the bomb. Yeah. And talking about, now, what would you imagine? You know, you got this intergalactic empire that's, you know, so efficient and ruthlessly brutal. Okay. He passes to George from George. Like, yep. Okay. Yeah, all right. What are you talking about, Jim? Well, okay, just stick with me. What if they go to that horse moon, right? Instead of going with Wookiees, like your original version, what if they were like little teddy bears? Would that be the ultimate middle finger to the ultimate war machine is that they were defeated by cute and fuzzy? Oh. Oh, skip to pass the bomb a couple more times, it starts to sound better. I like your version of events more than mine, because yours is less crass and less cynical and more, like, joyful. You know, like, more of a hippie, you know, cross-section. Well, let's face it, you know, Henson was a a talented man, and I'm not taking anything away from him. They're they're super imaginative, and look, the the end product was I got closure, uh, and the trilogy that was coming to a close in my childhood, uh, you know, it ended on an up note and, you know, not discontented. Uh, I thought the journey of Luke and the pyre scene at the end was the fitting closure to it for me. I mean, oh yeah, Anakin, uh, you know, appearing as, you know, like just an ordinary man, uh, you know, back as he was when he was just Anakin, uh, you know, the his father's spirit is at rest. Darth Vader truly is no more. You know, and he's re- completely destroyed. The redemption arc was worthwhile. Uh, and they had hinted at it, the sense of connection between uh, Darth Vader and Luke long before. That, you know, there was still attachment there. That the same fatal flaw that made Darth Vader a villain, uh, an excess of attachment, is also ultimately the... Thing that made it possible for him to be redeemed. So, you know, there were, there were some nice elements going on there that I thought were beautiful things for a film, uh, and I was not entirely discontented. Uh. No, nope. and then we would start to drift into, afterwards, all this machinery that had been set up for merchandising and oh, comics. And tons. Had now had to slow down. And, and novels. The novelization. Well, yeah, the novels oh, wouldn't boy. start until, like, of the later 80s, but uh, anyway, you know, uh, we were, there were rumors that Lucas was pondering a prequel or another series, and there were many rumors about it, and of course it was being tossed around back and forth, but, you know, we had other things to worry about at the time, our role-playing game uh, was being, uh, Scratch was finally being itched as the Star Wars game came out, and with that, so much is owed to that initial uh, print of that Dysic Star Wars source book that was literally handed out to anybody doing any writing for Star Wars when the novelization started becoming part of the whole expanded universe. And Dark Horse Comics would also come aboard and start publishing uh, long before the Old Republic, the, how the Jedi came to be. Yes. And uh, that got people's interest back in Star Wars. And, of course, the special editions were... With mixed results. Uh, I mean, I know the Greedo and Han one is always a contentious debate, but I liked a lot of the special edition stuff. I like seeing Jabba. I also like seeing Biggs, Dark Lighter, and Luke uh, finally getting to ham it up a little bit before their battle in uh, Above the Death Star in Yavin. 
Zamun. Uh, I also liked uh, seeing Han Solo uh, kind of tweet Jabba by walking over his tail. And, uh, you know, there's a couple other small bits, but the rest of the the uh, trilogy didn't have too much uh, special edition treatment. No, no, not, not nearly so much as the... Uh... But then that would lead to the hype of the prequels. And here we go. Let's just jump right into this one. Phantom Menace. Boom. The first... 15 minutes of that movie, we get to see what Jedi really are. Ewan McGregor as young Obi-Wan, a Padawan apprentice to Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon Jinn. Now, I, I'm just going to say, uh, you, what I saw in the first you know, 15, 20 minutes of that yep. movie uh, secured my affection for it forever after. Yep. And no matter what else came after, and there were things that I did not like, but... No matter what else came after, I was all like the price of entry has already been earned. Oh my gosh! You know, if you spent like twelve bucks to walk into that at prime rates, uh, that fifteen minutes, I was like, you could just run that in like a loop for the next two hours, and I would just sit here almost comatose with joy, just, ah, drooling like Homer Simpson with donuts. Just ah. Now, um, I also, for my also price of entry, that lightsaber fight in the planetary power system, the planet core or whatever it is. Oh, oh, the, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, generator. Yeah, that they had. I Uh, love that there was no monologue, no preamble, just the Jedi shedding their outer robes and, you know, the uh, Sith apprentice throwing off his robes. And they just ignite their sabers, and an instant saber fighting. Just, yeah. l- just like out of Scarabouche. It was just so well-crafted. And I know there was overly CGI, but what a lavish spectacle that saber fight is. Uh, and intentionally so. It was meant to uh, evoke the great sword fights of old, uh, where like no excess conversation, uh, You know, almost a Day of the Jackal-esque yep. absolute focus on... Precisely what is taking place, you know, like all eyes are on this. N- nothing to distract you. In Two any other polar forces have now finally met. The Phantom Menace is revealed. It's the hand of the Sith. They have returned. Yeah, and the, now the thing that others thought could only be a rumor turns out to be quite real. And for me, the ultimate tragedy is, is that Quigun gets killed. Yeah, young Anakin. You'd already seen that. Young Anakin had already bonded well to Qui-Gon, looking at him as the typical authority, patriarchal figure that a Jedi Master needs to be for a new pupil. Uh, especially with regard to harnessing an enormous amount of power uh, for a, you know, a person to wield. Uh, that, you know, there has to be some kind of uh, reasonable expectation that your teacher can walk you through the process of wielding that much power with grace and, you know, restraint and competence. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the loss of Qui-Gon is essential there. Now, I, I am going to, I am going to just flash back to the one thing that was a stickler for me with Return of the Jedi, haunted me yet again in Phantom Menace, uh, except that now I was much older and far more cynical and the entire spectacle of Jar Jar 
uh, was just an embarrassing attempt to like have a cutesy character for the kids uh, that did absolutely nothing for me, uh, and you know seemed as though it unnecessarily hammered in there to carry the plot along here and there, but mostly to be comic relief. Uh, admittedly, uh, not such a strong presence for droids there, but again, I was ruined by contact with the very first movie where the humor was subtle, understated, but still it was a great movie that kids could enjoy too. Uh, so I didn't feel like you know, it needed to be brought down to this level, but marketing forces being what they are, mm. uh, you got to have the, you know, the kid-friendly toys. So I was not contented with that particular element. I was yeah, not, we're talking about not at all happy about Jar Jar. Uh, poor Jar Jar. I, I am one of those who maligned poor Jar Jar's character. I just like, wow. What a piece of crap. Yeah, I went and seen him with friends and nephews, and they absolutely adored him. Like, so Everything down to baby talk. That's know. what I got. Oh. I, I was um, rather fascinated with the Trade Federation, the droid uh, dudes, uh, going through the city of Naboo. It was almost like uh, pictures of the Nazi occupation of Paris. Oh, yeah, um, I, I and think there was the uh, battle on the there. fields with the kind of uh, antiquated, but yet still technically adapt and strangely advanced race of the Gungans themselves, and how they were able to fight against such a mechanized and ruthless war machine, again, arrayed against them. And, again, all that it wrapped up pretty well. Uh, so a lot of people have criticisms about Jake Lloyd, but, you know, he's a, he was a little kid, and I think he did just fine. Um, oh, sure. But we got to see a young Anakin, and then we go into yeah, the, the next... the race segment was pretty awesome, too. Yeah, it was maybe yeah. a little indulgent, but it was still pretty good. But a little Ben-Hur-esque. Yeah, very Ben-Hur-esque. Uh, you know, it was it was a very clear homage there, in my opinion. Just, yeah, but there were some so, things like the announcer that was just plain silly. Oh, yeah. I, there was there was a great deal in there that was uh, meant to aim low and be, like, kid fodder. Uh, NASCAR, in space. Yeah. But leaving that aside, again, Phantom Menace, I, I, you know, I still could not help but approve greatly of it, uh, because. Yep. It, but then it, we get the Clone Wars, the next one, where now we start to see more of the Sith. There's a new uh, Sith menace, uh, Count Dooku, and other things, and Christopher Lee, great actor. Yep. And uh, of course, now Ewan McGregor is fully in his prime in the movie role. Not that he ever was out of his prime in any of this, but now he's the full entrenched master, having to fight a slightly contentious young Padawan in Anakin. And for the most part, uh, the tragedy of Anakin is is how much this poor kid is being uh, influenced by the uh, soon-to-be Emperor Darth Sidious. Yeah, or, you know... And his whole killing the... Spoiler alert! His mother, or the Tusken Raiders... uh, torturing and uh, eventually kill, uh, causing the death of his mother and how viciously he attacked them gave signs that this, you know, this is not ending. Like, it's giving you the echoes of what's coming. And you're now starting to see this is how Darth Vader is made. Now, some people were very negative about this movie. I was not, uh, you know, I've been leaving aside my distaste for Jar Jar. The second movie... Uh, was very pleasing to me because there is a very key element in the fall of Anakin 
that was properly covered in this. And some people were not interested in it. They didn't want to see it. They didn't feel that that was exciting enough material. But there was a lot of focus on Anakin's attachment to people. Mm -hmm. Attachment to his mother, you know, attachment to Padme. Uh, his attachment to others, his the depth of his feelings for them uh, would frequently lure him down the path of leaving behind traditional Jedi teachings. Uh, that, uh, it was a huge warning shot across the starboard bow, which everybody already knows. Yeah, that, we know that he's going to become Darth you know, Vader, but so we, we get to see how. Yeah, you get to watch the process, and I did not mind seeing that process. Now, I suppose if you were 15 or 16 and saw that in the theater, that was the most boring segment for you. Uh, for me, it was like watching the, break, the slow breakdown take place. And I enjoyed it. I liked watching that unfold, and I enjoyed every part of that movie. Yeah, you know, we get to see the constantly evolving droid army. We get to see how the clone army comes to be, the connection to the Boba Fett Mandalorian. And, of course, you get to see the uh, huge fight scene at the end where just massive droid armies and clone armies clash for the first time, showing what intensity that the Clone Wars was and how devastating it was to the rest of the galaxy. Just that fight scene alone just the amount of casualties being inflicted on the, the hapless clone troopers and, of course, the hapless droids, too, by the very efficient and highly skilled and trained clone warriors. Yeah, that this is basically mass conflict, and, you know, this is not the only place that it's happening. That You know, this is basically... Yeah, it starts here in this one planet, and then we end up to the Revenge of the Sith. And here we get to see uh, Anakin now fully invested, almost a master in his own right. He is one of the best pilots in the galaxy and a formidable warrior. Yeah. He takes out Dooku with no problem and, of course, now Palpatine starts to exert his influence over him. That space battle over Corsican is stunning in its scope and we get to see a whole regalia of uh, ships and war machines put out again. And the subtle pol political machinations have finally reached their zenith. Yeah, the, the, this is how the, democracy dies. You know, uh, the, the pushing of all the right buttons and you know, the uh, repeated uh, cry that, you know, well, what can we do, you know, without any kind of special powers, what, what can possibly be done, you know. Uh, the pushing of everybody's buttons to push everything to the brink of crisis uh, and then to appear as the rescuer. You know, uh, the political machinations were were wonderfully subtle in this. Very, very Sith-esque. Yep, and it all come to fruition. Uh, and now, as we're trying to get to this so we can get to the last part here, and skipping a lot of the expanded universe, we were well invested into this because now, instead of having to wait for a role-playing game license to be picked up, Wizard of the Coast was right there with a the bullet right from the start of The Phantom Menace and... You know, you had these new supplements and things coming out. And, of course, the expanded universe had been changed. The Heir to the Empire novels have, uh, of course, been somewhat... Uh, some of their canon had been set aside because Lucas had determined certain things. And we got to learn more about the Jedi Order rather than, you know, uh, poor Timothy Zahn just trying to, like, cobble it together from fragmented notes and some ideas. Here he was, you know... Uh, some people bitched about the time that uh, this, you know, oh, it invalidated the whole expanded universe. No, no, it doesn't. It's still there. 
Marjade and Admiral Thrawn, they're still out there. That, if that's your uh, view of Star Wars and that's what you like to uh, have, go for it. Nobody oh, absolutely. It. You know, I mean, DMing is by its very nature uh, a, you know, cherry-picking event. So, yep. you know, but we don't um, be deterred. We had to get back into this and go right to the gist of it. You know, we see finally the uh, end result of all this, uh, Executive Order 66, the massacre at the Jedi Temple, they even killed the younglings. I know, not the younglings. Uh, And the cruelty and suffering of the Sith, uh, the kind of hypocrisy of their wanting to bring peace by just killing everybody. You know, it is kind of the ham-fisted attitude that, you know, might makes right. You know, the ends justify the means. Uh, The, you know, our version of peace neglected to mention that everyone else would be in stark and absolute pants-wetting terror. Uh, You know, the when everyone is subservient, then we shall have peace. That's the peace that they're talking about. Uh, it's not the peace that other people are thinking of. You know, the, the word means two totally different things to these two disparate groups. Yeah, uh, one is complete submission. Yeah. And the other is, well, freedom. But we digress. The point is, is that uh, you get to see the birth of Darth Vader, uh, the death of Anakin, and, you know, how... But there is still a bit of Anakin left in Vader. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of that idealism and just enough that Luke can bring that out. Yeah, the but, attachment. Yeah, um, that that matters to him. And uh, that's an important part that I think a lot of people get left behind. Now, of course, uh, Obi-Wan may have regretted not uh, finishing the job. <laughs> but we have to remember the poor Obi-Wan has saw his order destroyed, has witnessed all his Jedi friends massacred, and... The person that he trusted and loved the most, almost as if a brother, yeah, the, betrayed the, the only other person who really, you know, momentarily they were both pupils of Quigon. Uh, so, you know, uh, this this person who is as dear to him as family, you know, as as much attachment as a Jedi can be allowed to feel, uh, he has for he this one person, and he let him live, you know. Uh, a quadriplegic with third degree burns over uh, 80% of his body. So, yeah, now the Emperor resurrects him and, uh, you know, re equips him as Darth Vader. And, of course, here we are in the full turn of events. Now, of course, this would uh, uh, herald the next series of movies. Now, of course, you, we're not going to get into too much of Disney, just say that that's the thing that happened. Ten billion dollars is something that sounds like you would hold ransom for a nation, but that's what George Lucas sold it over for. I, and yeah. you know, four billion <laughs> up front and six billion in uh, like, residuals. And uh, I just can picture Lucas sitting there like Doctor Evil in a Nehru jacket with a white cap. I want ten billion dollars. Now, why would Disney ever want that? Hey, you know what? There was a Star Wars ride at uh, Disneyland. Um, I wanted to get on, we could never get in because the lines were too dang long. And uh, but Disney always had its uh, sights on Star Wars. Oh, sure, because, because it, actually Lucas did approach them initially. It's a massive property, and it was desirable. Now there are three movies of which I have seen two, and one just coming up here in just a few weeks. You know, uh, this yeah. here we go. All right, all right, I'm going <clears> to <throat> do it. I'm going to do it. This is totally happening. Uh, and remember what I said about the Millennium Falcon. Okay, you know, I'm, right. I'm taking you into the belly of the Death Star. 
and then I'm going to get you back to the Millennium Falcon. Things I didn't like. I personally feel like the Disney treatment of the original cast uh, was handwritten by a group of junior high girls who were trying to make original fans cry, like, you know, the old fans are the girl that they don't like at their school, and they're just going to, you know, conspire together in a little, you know, click, and then, you know, send some notes, they'll be found in your locker, and then make you cry during lunch. Uh, you know, just the mean-spiritedness of it leaves me with the firm impression that the goal was to 100% separate the Star Wars property from the original movies, from the original cast, from all of the original concepts, and to cut it loose so that it you know, can now be a thing that is target-marketed for a much younger generation. Uh, you know, just a complete divorce, uh, as brutal and as quick as possible. It's just we're, we're going to tear the Band-Aid off and ruin it so that absolutely no one from that older crowd will want anything to do with it anymore. Uh, that was my impression. Uh, that's that's how badly I think, the, you know, there, there was, well, you write one. You know, like almost everyone has written one. Hundreds of versions have been written. Countless attempts have been made to come up with concepts. Almost all of them were gentler than this. So the plaintive cry that, well, you know, it was very hard to write this. There's an awful lot of people writing an awful lot of stuff. And you know, in the accumulated centuries of humankind's writings, far less complicated things have been accomplished than this. You, it could have been stitched together so that the old cast and the old story uh, faded into the sunset with uh, you know, like a little pat on the back and some great affection. Uh, it did not have to be this kind of spectacular, brutal divorce. Now, I've said my piece. I've gotten it out. But I'm going to tell you what I do like. This is the part where we get back in the Millennium Falcon after I've blown up the Death Star. Here we go. The new actors are outstanding. I like pretty much all of them. Uh, in particular, uh, John Bodega as Finn, mm -hmm. who just delivers an amazing performance as somebody wrestling with a worldview that is rapidly evolving. You know, just the, the independence of their spirit will not allow them to just, you know, do what they're told. Uh, their conscience and their decency keep flooding upwards out of them, welling up and breaking that conditioning. So here's an actor who is delivering a role that is complicated uh, and doing it expertly. So just an outstanding performance. Uh, the character of Ray is wonderful to watch. Uh, Poe, also, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, just little whiffs of Han Solo-esque-ness. Yeah. Not, not quite. You know, more in the, the capacity of, uh, like, a military loyalist. You know, a, a guy who was a true blue believer in the cause from day one. Not like Han Solo, who was... Cynical. You know... Very cynical, very self-interested, but, you know, when it comes right down to the crunch, Solo was a guy who would break down and like, oh, I just, I can't leave him. Ah, 
ah, I'm going to lose so much money doing this, but I'm going to do it. All right. Yeah, I'm going to go help my friends. So, uh, you know, Poe is a much more dedicated individual, you know, uh, but just enough shadiness to be likable. <laughs> uh, once again, the droids are back. A little less of the comic nonsense that I dislike. The, like, let's pick a ludicrously cartoonish character and make that the comic relief side character. They got rid of that, and they brought back the droid concept with BB-8, uh, which I enjoyed. I, I thought it was a nice, simple relationship where you've got the loyal droid and the person working with them. Uh, I do like the evolution of the R2 unit. Fair enough. Adam Driver does a terrific job playing Kylo Ren, but I do not like that the new face of the Sith... Well, here's where I get to drop my uh, bomb now. Yeah, this one, we... uh, Although we differ on much, we are are similar on this Yeah, I'm similar. um, I haven't said much, but I'm going to say this about Adam uh, Driver's uh, portrayal of uh, Kylo. I don't think it's the actor. I think that is actually their backslap to Sith fanboys who look at the dark side as some kind of power trip. No, it's not. This is how you look to the rest of us. Some emo, half uh, black jean wearing, half uh, bleach washed persona of just, I don't want to deal with anything. Nobody understands me. I don't understand myself half the time. I just latch on to something I think is really cool, like the idea of Darth Vader, who was a twisted and evil individual who is gone. <laughs> It always was Anakin, and Anakin was wronged. And now Anakin did one thing right, and you can't even see that. All you see is that picturesque character of what Anakin's twisted desires and goals were. And you latch onto that so desperately that you become the very thing that you hate. Yeah, that and Adam Driver... Is a terrific actor. So I just want to just jug, grab yeah. that jug here, get galoot, and say, "You're doing a great job, man. I love you." Yeah, it, terrific guy, terrific actor, uh, and he plays the role magnificently. I just don't feel like the writing uh, in the development of the character uh, was top quality. I, I feel also like feel that they they did a disservice by not allowing everybody to be together for one. Scene as I kind of pass the torch. Yeah, again, a moment of closure, much like with Return of the Jedi, where there were elements that I didn't like, but I got my moment of closure. In this one, uh, you know, they just burnt the bridges. Oh, yeah, they did. But I, I will say that the special effects, the action sequences are amazing. Uh, I enjoyed the movies in an overall respect. Yeah, we all enjoyed But it. it's also worth mentioning my cautionary tale is... I went in understanding that something had happened and that the property had changed hands. That this was Disney's vision and that they are aiming at a longer-term influence. They're building what is going to be the stepping stone into future movies and future properties and future developments. And that is their goal. So now going into the movies knowing that, I was already better emotionally prepared for what was going to happen than an awful lot of people. So... Some people felt betrayed, they felt hurt, they, they felt like they'd been knifed in the back and abandoned, and uh, I, I gotta say, I went in understanding that some of these forces were at work, so I'm okay. Uh, so that, I, I guess, to bring the end point, this is going to be a continuing influence on gaming, 
it's going to have a continuing presence yeah. as a part of role-playing games and as part of like cultural experience. Now, we didn't touch on the uh, Rogue One or Solo oh, movies yeah. because... Just like the expanded universe, we, it's a little bit out of our scope. Maybe we'll talk about it. I, I'm really a big fan of Rogue One because it resembled a lot of my role-playing campaigns, especially the Minos Cluster, if you know that one, Tramps, Praetor Guide, Rocks. Um, yeah. But to sum it up, uh, I'm looking forward to this new movie. It looks spectacular, and I'm going to have to see it. But uh, the other thing that is so good, too, is the Mandalorian series that's been released. And this hopefully is a precursor to what we can expect more of and if this is where it's going i'm all in cash my chips in here everything whatever my complaints have been you know however ferociously i may feel about one thing um and there are some people who you know are prepared to divorce themselves from star wars as a property entirely uh you know don't let them win okay uh if there's anything to my sentiment that an attempt was made to oust people who were older fans. Uh, no, don't give them the satisfaction. Uh, you know, the truth is, Star Wars was a part of my childhood, and a beloved part at that. And it will remain a part of my adulthood. I may not go out opening day, full-fledged nerd on, and be there, you know, with like a 20 spot in my hand to get into the theater. But I will see it. It, it is not off my list of yeah. movies to be watched, and I'm going to finish this trilogy. Uh, they would have to do something considerably more radical than this, uh, you know, than the disappointments that I have suffered to divorce me from Star Wars entirely as a concept. So, uh, hopefully, this new movie lives up to its hype. Yeah. And I'm, lo- I, I'm, I'm looking uh, forward to the big closeout. Pessimistically optimistic. <laughs> Uh, I have hopes. I have hopes. I hopes, but I'm also prepared to be let down. Much like being a Lions football fan. I, I'm go- Yeah. Uh, we all hope that uh, we can get the Lions to be there for our funeral so they can let us down one last time. Oh. Yeah. No, no, no uh, in this case, I have far more optimism than that. At the very least, by emotionally divorcing myself from expectations... I'm just going to go into it neutral. We're like Jedi. Enjoy it like a movie. And, you know, imagine it, if you must, by another title. (laughs) Disney's Space Quest. (laughs) Uh, You know, and if you take the sting of having a connection to the past, like Anakin, if you take that excessive attachment away, all of a sudden you're able to withstand these storms. So that, that would be my final word. All right. Well, and we spent a lot of words, and we got it in. So thank you all for listening, and uh, we've abused you, your ears, and (laughs) your patience quite a bit. So we're going to wrap it up here and uh, just basically say, if you have any questions or comments, I'm sure you have many questions and you have some comments, hey, feel free to let us know on the uh, Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, as well. You can get all of us on Twitter and yell at us there. Or you can also download the Anchor app and let us know what you think and we'll play you on the air so i don't know if we'll make you famous but we'll certainly put you on the air so (laughs) but we're uh gonna wend our way right down here and just cut you off and we'll pick you up next week on monday with our next topic coming up so no spoil alerts but until that time (laughs) may may the the dice always roll in your favor. favor we're out see ya